podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Welcome to the Hedged Edge by RCM Ag Services, where we're getting out of the field and onto the mic to bring you weekly market updates, commentary from commodity experts, and monthly interviews with the biggest names in agribusiness. Welcome to the Hedged Edge. I'm your host, Jeff Eisenberg. Today's pod is a focus on 2021. We're going to forget about 2020 momentarily and remind ourselves what the opportunities are looking ahead. 2020 was a difficult year for commodities. Oil went negative, coronavirus halted trade, decreased demand, and overall turmoil in the markets sent investors fleeing. Though the first quarter was rough, commodities did their best to rally into the remainder of the year. So what for 2021? Are we going to see continued major rallies in grain markets with dry weather and continued Chinese consumption? What about cotton markets? Are things going to steady or will cotton look to catch up with its sisters, corn and beans? Today, we're joined with our experts from the RCM Ag Services team. And here we are with Jody Lawrence, once again, our esteemed expert in the grains, grain side of things. Jody, you and I have uh, talked and talked and talked about grain markets and uh, today is the day we get to let the world know our prediction, your predictions for where we're going. 2021, uh, compliance isn't going to like it. You're, you know, you're not going to, uh, you're going to be guaranteeing where things are going in terms of price. No, just kidding. Uh, Jack, don't worry. We're not going to guarantee anything today. Uh, but what we are going to do is uh, really take a look at um, markets and the direction they're going today and where they might go for the next crop because we're in between an old crop and a new crop in South America and then ultimately the new crop for ourselves here in the United States. So, uh, Jody, welcome once again. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, good to be back. Great. Well, let's let's just jump in here. Um, you know, we could, we could talk about bourbon and golf and things, uh, you know, all we want. And I know a lot of your followers and, and ours uh, like those stories almost more than the markets. But um, let's let's take a look. You know, we just came off the USDA report. Prices are 40 cents higher than they were a day before we uh, uh, before the report came out. Uh, give, give everybody a, a quick recap of uh, why why we're 40 cents higher. And then let's start talking about what we need to do next. Well, the, the biggest part about it, and I'm pulling up a couple things to make sure I get all my numbers right. Sure. But it is uh, the the biggest thing about this report was, uh, and I haven't seen any historical data about it, but to have a limit up move in corn, especially with an, you know a larger limit because uh, prices are so high, twenty five cents, and then to jump higher from there really tells everybody it, it just how serious. Uh, it, at least the world trade, uh, not necessarily the USDA, but the world traders, end users, producers 
think that uh, you know think where we are with the shortage and it's it's a combination of the u.s crop loss and the flash drought in uh late late july and august and in parts of nebraska and iowa it was dry all summer yeah the DeGero uh, coming through as well right uh yeah yeah that 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 certainly played in that's uh you know there were a combination of things that uh the, that the trade uh, with uh, kind of the full support of the USDA were not fully uh, fully uh, pricing in uh, when we got to the you know that towards the end of this when this thing completely uh, turned around. So uh, you know three bushels an acre, uh, just call it 250 million bush bushels of production uh, trimmed right off the bottom line in. Thursday's or in Tuesday's report, uh, that was the the biggest shocker. The the, the bean numbers weren't uh, surprising. You know, uh, uh, three tenths of a bushel yield loss, 23 million bushels of production. Uh, ending stocks for beans were actually a million bushels above, but 140 million bushel carryover is bare bare minimum. And a lot of people say that that's actually where. Uh, pipeline stocks are with what's on a boat, uh, what's in a bin, uh, somewhere that, that that's really uh, the, the bare minimum that's that's uh, still around in the system anywhere. So where, where did those three bushels go? I mean, it's uh, you know we're at 175, and then now we're at 172. It seems to me something happened, and uh, I was reading Twitter. Ag Twitter and uh, our friend Scott Irwin over University of Illinois, he he threw up his hands too, and he said maybe this is a question you can ask uh, your Helena guys. Did people not buy and apply as much chemical? Uh, it, there, and this is I'm not I'm not speaking just for Helena. I'm not really speaking just uh, industry in general. The the farmers that I talked to. They did everything they could uh, to uh, produce all of the yield out of that crop. Okay. So I, I don't think it was an issue at all of a uh, you know uh, an underfertilized crop okay. uh, or a, you know a, a poorly managed uh, input and fertility program. I, I think ultimately the uh, USDA missed it from August on that they didn't have the derecho loss in there. Uh, they didn't have the drought in Eastern uh, Nebraska and Western Iowa. They, uh, you know, kind of dropped the ball on this because, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's fairly, uh, you know, it's important that to know that they keep since really over the last since 2018, I think certainly in 2019 because it was so wet, they are overestimating the crop early, and each year the crop has gotten smaller, which uh, is, is you know historically is just not the trend because what happens uh, is okay the crop is good and it gets big and it's then it gets bigger. And then when you know you've got a big crop and prices are decent, profitability is good, you put more fertilizer, all of the late season applications to really push it over the top. Right. And that's where the adage big crops get bigger. And uh, what has proved to be true, even though these are huge crops, the last 
three years worth of yields have been all 170 plus and all top 10, you know, all time national yields. But they're uh, they're getting outstripped by Mother Nature, uh, either, either because of the flood or the late season drought and the demand is coming back from China. So it's uh, it's difficult, thing, difficult thing to say. Uh, to place uh, to place any blame on a farmer, I don't think that that's uh, an accurate way or even an accurate question because I, I don't know anybody who goes, ah, yeah, I'm going to go in and I'm going to half-ass it this year. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, talking about right. millions and millions of dollars worth of decisions that nobody is just going to go, yeah, you know, uh, let, let's cut my budget here because yeah. this just doesn't feel like a good year to have big crops. Interesting perspective. Yeah, you know, it was a question popped up and it was worth uh, worth exploring. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, the farmers have done an amazing job. They are experts at their craft and uh, I put them up against anybody in the world. That's for sure. So um, good. Well, uh, let's let's take a look here uh, ahead. Now we've got South America crop coming on. Um, you've, you've mentioned uh, that we're basically at about what you say about July 14th or so uh, equivalent of uh, the crop production in, in yeah it, if you look at uh, a large part of argentina because they're they're far enough uh, they're 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 parts of argentina they're as far south of the equator as the u.s midwest is north of it right. so it when you look at their crop cycle and where they are in that the life of that plant they're in the middle they're in the middle of their july and they're not getting rain and just like any uh, anybody in the U.S. knows if you get two inches of rain uh, sometime, you know, uh, in the middle of July, it's uh, it's either crop saver if it's been bad or it's got the potential to really, really, you know, make it a bin buster. And uh, although a majority of Brazil is in pretty good shape, northern Brazil, uh, which is a big production area, has had kind of a sketchy year to this point probably trend line yields, but nothing better than that. And all of Argentina and Southern Brazil got off to a bad start. Uh, the weather has not been, has not cooperated. And what, you know, people argue go, well, it was raining this week. How come in Argentina, how come prices didn't go down? A drought doesn't mean that they live in a desert and it doesn't rain from, <laughs> right. you know, for six months. It just means, you get, yeah. yeah, you get a lot less of it over the course of a normal growing season. And that's where we are because uh, I think all the genetics and you look at the hybrids, everything else, the, we've over the last five years, you know, it, since you've really seen some dynamic growth, the only way you can kill a crop is heat and uh, uh, heat and drought anymore because we've found that cool wet conditions probably favor the biggest yields possible and they're just not getting it. Right. And with that, we're, we're obviously seeing higher prices. Beans seem to be the, the leader of the uh, of the pack. Do you foresee the beans still being the driver, you know, as we continue to move forward? Both, you know, let's say prices continue to appreciate. Is it going to show up mostly in beans? Is corn going to match it? And then the other way, when we start to see it uh, correct, I mean, you know, the old story is that you know, uh, markets crash as hard, faster than they rise. Um, are we ultimately setting up for some type of massive correction? You know, once we get through their harvest and um, 
you know, uh, get get to our our actual planting? Uh, I I think this market is is the foundation of this market is different, not completely different because it all ultimately started with yield loss. But the biggest component of this market that's different than any other rally, significant rally that we've seen is the way China is reacting and rebuilding their hog herd. They went from, uh, the, uh, Kevin Bost was just on with us. And, uh, you know, he said, I think the, the number that really sticks out is that China lost more hogs in ASF than the rest of the world produces. Unbelievable number. <laughs> Which it's, it's almost impossible to kind of wrap your mind around that. But when you go back and you change how you raise them, how you feed them to keep this from not from a, an ASF uh, epidemic from happening again, that's what we're finding out. We're finding out that they are uh, this unending, unending demand that we've seen since the 1st of August uh, is they can no longer even get close to being self-sufficient on their corn or their beans. They never have been on beans, but they were closer on corn. And if they are going to be uh, food secure, it starts out with their hogs. And when that happens, you're, you know, you've got to feed them a lot more than, uh, and differently than what they did because they can't, uh, feed them, uh, you know, what in the old, uh, old business would have been called swill. You can't give them food scraps and you can't give them leftovers. You can't give them, you know, renderings or stuff like that because that's how that ASF, uh, the, you know, whatever the uh, microorganism that causes it stays in their systems and stays in the entire hog industry. So they have to completely eliminate their old steps. And the only way they can do it is through more corn, more bean meal, uh, feed wheat if they work it in right. as a protein ration. Uh, and that's going to put uh, an enormous strain, not just on uh, on the world currently. It's going it, to ongoing. Uh, I saw one projection that probably is going to add uh, in total bushel, uh, maybe 750 to 750 million to a billion bushels of additional demand, demand. once they get uh, to the level where they want to rebuild their hog herd to. Well, and they're, they're, they're building, they're doing this, right? They, they're yeah. eliminating the small operations. They just put in the largest hog producing facility in the world. Uh, can't recall off the top of my head exactly how many, how many hogs, but it's over 2 million for sure. And uh, to your point, this place looks like Fort Knox. It's, you know, walled off security. You know that they're bringing in only the quality food. They're not going out into the backyards and pulling in the, the, the garbage and swill to, to feed these things. So, you know, this is, this is a real long-term demand and structural, as you said. So I think that uh, um, is, is a very point. It's very well taken for the, for the farmers and for everyone, you know, to think about how they're going to plant their planting intentions this year. Right now is the time they're making these decisions, Jody. Um, how are we to position ourselves? Are we? Well, I did. I just did the math. Beans uh, are uh, 
got a pretty good lead if you just look at per acre profitability for a couple different reasons. First, the uh, November uh, ratio to December corn is 2.6 uh, two to one at today's closes. And it's normally, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, it's normally somewhere uh, on the, uh, on the lower side of two and a half to one. Okay. And what you get, if you're in a good bean area right now and you can uh, grow 75 bushel beans and feel confident about it, whether it's uh, irrigated or non-irrigated and you just have really good ground and practices, you're talking about, so I don't get my math wrong, you know, 70 times, and let's just talk a normal basis of, uh, it, well, let's just call it flat because some places are above and some places are below. But, you know, there's $838 of uh, gross income on an acre that more than likely isn't going to cost you any more than about 400 to 450 to put in. And if I'm making a decision, even if I go all out on my fertility program and get it up to $500 an acre, uh, if you tell me that I can uh, lock in right now, by the time I buy my 85% crop insurance or take the bump up from 80 and go to 86, that uh, you're, you know, you're practically guaranteeing me $350 an acre. Uh, who's walking away from that? Right. Uh, and just would I'll do some corn because uh, I, I talked about it the other day and I want to make sure my numbers are right. But at uh, 457 December corn and you just go, uh, you know, a, a good solid yield, uh, which is, you know, getting closer. I'm not going to go to 200, but I will go to 190 to be a little bit on the top end. Uh, that's eight hundred and sixty eight dollars of income with uh, a zero basis, which uh, is not the case. Uh, so this is an optimistic number, but putting in an acre of corn is gonna cost you uh, not potentially double beans, but certainly almost, you know, uh, almost that. And would I rather plant a crop, I know I'm gonna make $300 an acre on or plant a crop that I'm uh, gonna need some good things to happen to make 150. You know, right. it's a great problem to have because right. we're both talking about very sizable margins for both acreage. But if uh, the the farmers I've talked to who can't, who aren't absolutely uh, married to their uh, normal crop rotation, they're looking at beans, and it's 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 a no brainer at this point. That's that's a very point well taken. And I think we really need to also discuss the, the risk management strategy that needs to be in place in order to execute such a decision. Because just going to the bank and saying, yeah, I'm going to plant beans with a hope, once again, that we have the same continued rally uh, or we have uh, you know another lucky scenario where we have a harvest rally, that, that just we cannot make business decisions on luck alone. So how do we start to implement a true risk management program around that approach, which means planting more beans this far in advance? Because normally when we have this conversation, it's June, July, we have a good idea how much we actually planted, maybe an idea of what the growth pattern is, uh, at least a little bit, um, moisture levels. So now we're, we're flying blind. How much do we sell? How far in advance, or how do we protect it with uh, you know futures options uh, hedge to arrives? 
Well, I think that, you know, the first thing everybody should look at what level of crop insurance are you going to get? And if uh, an 85% is available, and I know a majority of my producers, that's what they uh, bump up to. Uh, so if you are a, uh, you know, a, uh, a 55 APH uh, a producer, a 55 bushel maker on beans, and let, let's make a, a kind of a leap of faith here that the Nova, that in, at the end of February, the insurance average goes off at $12, <laughs> excuse me, then times 85%. Uh, let's see, what, what did I do wrong here? You're, you're guaranteeing yourself uh, right here uh, a... Uh, $10.20 for 85% of your crop. You are guaranteed that revenue. Uh, and if you do that, you know, it, 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 that would be, you know, over what you're guaranteed after you do the math, you, you're guaranteeing yourself 550, uh, give or take, just simply by taking the tools you have at hand. And the after that you go okay well i feel confident i know my insurance is going to cover me uh i don't uh I, I, but i want to take advantage of these prices you can sell into something that you know is costing you because that crop insurance is you know gosh it's it's getting uh, you know north of 30 dollars an acre just about everywhere now so if you go with you know 35 dollars an acre let's use that investment to give you an angle on doing something else, and that's marketing early. So if I've got 85% of my crop guaranteed revenue coverage, and if I have a disastrous drought or flood or anything else that I know I'm safe there, then I can get aggressive. The problem right now, and it's been the problem, uh, you know, for the last five months because everybody went from okay, I made some good early sales, prices kept going down, kept going down, and then when they reversed. Uh, it, everybody is shell shocked. The fact that they're delivering in early January, uh, 360 corn in a 5:30 market. Right. But at the time it was a good sale. Uh, you know, there's no other way around it. And, uh, you know, when they sold it in, you know, uh, late June, July. Uh, so everybody is pulling back right now. Uh, and because one out of every 10 years, and it's actually been a little bit lower than that, but you don't get the consistent return that uh, uh, having a strategy and marketing ahead when prices are at profitable levels by waiting because procrastination and bad behavior uh, have been very richly rewarded over the last six months. Right. And everybody, uh, you know, uh, nobody should feel bad about it because this, uh, when it when it turned when it turned and it started looking like this was potentially uh, possible in September, uh, that that's where the futures and options markets are always there. You talk about okay, if I go to my crop insurance guy and I buy my revenue-based crop insurance or my multi-parallel whatever I buy, I'm buying insurance from a source from an insurance company. Right. If I want price insurance, I can do the same thing through the Chicago Board of Trade. And if I was concerned this market was going to get away from me and take off, 
then there were plenty of, of, of uh, strategies and everything available that can still be used. I think a lot of the very lowest hanging fruit has obviously already been picked, but we don't know. If the U.S. has a weather problem, uh, you, you take a pick uh, on any price and I can, uh, anything uh, below $20 a bushel in beans and anything below $8 a bushel in corn, if the U.S. has a weather problem, I can tell you it's probably in play. Right, and, and trading. You know, people are actively trading those markets today with the expectation that they need to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah because it, the, the simplest thing that I did, and I've always liked this philosophy, it doesn't work every year because not every year is a bullish, uh, you know, uh, you have a, a solid, easy to identify bull trend going, but you buy calls uh, ahead of time as the market appreciates, you go ahead and stick to your marketing plan. You make your sales at price levels that you like because we have 457 December corn now. Great if number. It, 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 people it, you know, bet would have killed to get in line to sell all the 457 corn they could uh, last year or 2019. Uh, you know, and this we're getting up close to the high of 2019, which I think is going to be another interesting level. And that's another point. But you know, it, you're making money here. Uh, and this is the thing you buy your call options. If you're worried about looking silly for making 457 sales at, and the delivering it later on, uh, or whatever the case, you know, is if corn, if December corn gets above $5, you have an easy way to manage your risk let yourself sleep better at night by being able to come in and put on some reasonably priced call option strategies that I've been putting on, you know, for, uh, for somewhere, just say in the ballpark of $700 for every 5,000 bushels. So a thousand acre farmer, uh, a thousand acre, let's just call it corn, uh, who is going to put in, uh, you know, uh, and we'll go back to, uh, uh, 185 bushel yield. He's going to produce 185 thousand bushels. Yeah. Uh, that's that's wrong. Yeah, thousand acres. Yeah. Yeah, 185 thousand bushels. That right now, let's just call it at 450 because there's basis on it. Uh, there's 832 thousand dollars worth of income. Right. Right there that right now you can identify and feel reasonably sure that you're gonna get, uh, if not all of it is a big chunk of it. So with $832,000, I can go back in and, uh, and 180,000 bushels, even if I got really aggressive, on 36 contracts on 700 bucks, I could put $25,000 of that $850,000. Uh, I can put in less than 3% of my total income yeah. to uh, guarantee myself that if corn, if, uh, if corn continues to go and it goes another 50 cents higher, You've got uh, then I've done the right thing by making new crop sales and I'm going to participate at some level uh, on the way up when it does. It. And that's all you can ask for, because this is the year nobody's going to hit the high. 
I, I, but I can tell you, whenever this thing does turn around, which we know that it will, a lot of people are going to hit the low. Yep. Yep. And that's right. And we were seeing people panic at the lows, uh, you know, when corn was coming close to $3, not more than six months ago. So yeah, uh, right around the August report, it was, yep. uh, it was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly. Well, that's good. And I think that's a really great perspective and way to kind of uh, tie off the end of this, uh, this segment is really that, you know, keep an eye on the ball, work with your, your agronomist to figure out your planning intentions, your planning plan, work with your marketing advisor to figure out the marketing plan around it. And uh, the, also the insurance, uh, your insurance advisor and uh, come up with a plan that makes sense for not just uh uh, 21, but then there's also 22. I mean, I was looking at prices in 22 and it's like, well, you know what? I hate to say you think that far in advance, but you know, sooner than later you can, you can do just that. So after Tuesday's report, when we were limited up, uh, December 22 corn made a new contract high, got to, I think 412. And I had a target to make my initial 22 sale at 410. And I can tell you outside of the drought years of 13, 14 on the way back down after the 12 drought. I think that's the first uh, beginning of, it's the highest beginning of the year uh, sale that I've uh, got on, that I've got, you know, that had on my books for quite a while. And if you're selling corn with a four in front of it and you get your yield uh, as good as the yields and hybrids and the, and the programs are now, uh, all, you're almost guaranteed to, to be making a, a pretty good uh, profit per acre. Well, yeah, cheers to that here in 21. Let's uh, cheers to profits and opportunity and agriculture coming back into focus. You know, it was, it's been a rough year. There's been a ton of volatility, a uh, lot of uncertainty. People are still stuck at home in their offices with their dogs, uh, and kids and family, um, you know, uh, in, in awkward places, but, um, yeah, can't, uh, can't, can't say enough about where we might be heading here and, uh, yeah, keep following along with Jody. You can follow him on his reports. Uh, if you have questions, you can reach out to us directly and we can uh, get you looped in. Uh, if you'd like to connect with Jody directly, also uh, reach out to us at rcmagservices.com and we will, uh, connect, connect you up. So, uh, Jody, thanks as always for today's uh, today's visit, and let's see if we can uh, make 21 the year to remember. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Good to talk to everybody. Welcome to the Cotton Outlook, 2021 Cotton Outlook. Today, I'm joined with Bert Farish and Ron Lawson. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking your time here on a on a Thursday uh, in the middle of January, deep dark winters. Uh, you know, here here in the North California, probably some sunshine. I mean, what's what's going on out there in the West, Ron? We're seventy degrees today. After coming in after some rain, it's not fair. Uh, but someone's got to live here. There's houses <laughs> and stuff, so. Uh, but you know, actually, it does bump up against a lot of what's going on in that you can no longer say what's a normal year for growing. Right. Look at what, you know, we'll take a look at what's going on in South America. What well, we had that, it was alluded to in our earlier broadcast, uh, the, the mini drought, you know, the sudden flash drought we had. Right. So weather, weather is going to continue to show more volatility and greater extremes, which is going to play hell with the traditional production cycle. 
Right. And so without taking risk management really to heart, you're, you're just going to be taking on greater and greater risk from the weather as well as the marketplace. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bert, you can attest to weather being an issue uh, in your area. You're, you're down in Nashville, but grew up in the Mid-South. So, uh, you know, there's quite a bit of volatility weather-wise down that way, too. Oh, yeah. And there always has been. I mean, it, it may be worse now or it may not be. Uh, you know, I'm not a weather. Uh, I'm not a meteorologist. Uh, but I can tell you, I have seen the damage of a number of hurricanes uh, and uh, lived through a couple of them on the, on the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, in my time down there in the grain industry. Um, but I've, I've seen, you know, as a teenager in high school, I've seen cotton crops nearly destroyed by hurricanes uh, in, in Mississippi. And, you know, I know the uh, cotton farmers of Louisiana this year have just about had enough. Uh, you know, there are reports that we'll probably lose up to 100,000 acres or more uh, of cotton this year in Louisiana. And I would expect some of the same for uh, Georgia as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, as Ron has said so often, it's going to have to compete with corn and soybeans to get acres planted. So, uh, but hurricanes really did number on people last year. They did. You're right. And, uh, you know, I think just seeing weather conditions getting worse. I mean, the number of hurricanes have continued to rise. So, uh, well, let's gentlemen, let's do this. Let's start off with a current update on the conditions. We just came off the USDA report and we're talking about losing crops. So might as well talk about what the USDA talked about, told us is that uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, incrementally lower expectations in terms of domestic carryout. Ron, can you Give us a quick update on the report, and clearly we're at higher prices as a result. Right. I think you want to look back first on where we started the year. The USDA for the season uh, came out initially with a prediction of over 19 million bales. In uh, the WASI that came out uh, a couple of days ago, we're down to 14.9. Wow. So from 19 plus to 14.9, that's a big drop. Um, weather certainly had a lot to do with it. So from a production side, and again, USDA tends to make incremental changes when they see a change is needed. You know, they don't go in all at once because the last thing they want to do is take it away and have to give it back again. So if they just to hypothetically say they see there's going to be a half a million bale adjustment required, they might go 250, 250 uh, just to walk their way in. So what we see is the, you know, the old line, big crops get bigger, small crops get smaller, and this crop is definitely getting smaller. And at the same time, the world is uh, coming out of the uh, economic COVID coma, and demand has just skyrocketed. Um, when you see the uh, export report this morning, um, you know, we sold uh, 326,000 upland bales, uh, 35,000 Pima. So, you know, we only need to average uh, before this 85,000 bales a week to hit the USDA year-end export target. And here we get more than four times that this week. And this is an ongoing pattern. We continue to see demand just outstripping any type of supply. And that's part and partial of why these prices are going higher. The, the trade, the commercial interests are fully hedged. They've sold all they need to sell. The crop is hedged. Right. And every week on the, on the position from the CFTC, we see the speculators are adding more and more and more positions. And realistically, you know, the, the, there's a few hedge funds out there that could buy the entire cotton crop and sell it and never even know they owned it. So, you know, we always say that the uh, specs got more money than the trade got cotton. And uh, there isn't a whole lot of cotton left. So as we see the current situation, 
Um, we're starting to get to a point where we're rationing demand. Our export sales are above where they were last year. Our shipments are above where they were last year. Um, there's a few latent cancellations. It's a lot of it has to do with instead of a buyer canceling, it's a merchant saying, you know, I can't get this stuff on board. There's a big congestion at the ports. So we'll cancel and buy it and roll it forward for you. Are, so are any of the merchants out of cotton? Pardon me? Are any of the merchants out of cotton? Well, they're scrambling. You know, if they had a basis, you know, they, if they were long the long the cash, short the futures, they're doing okay. Um, but if they, you know, if they've been long futures, things are working out. They still got to go find that cotton. Right. So that's the, you know, we'll see how that sorts out in the, in the cotton world. A lot of the business is done to mills on call and there's some 60,000 contracts, not, not bales contracts. That's 600,000 bales of on-call sales that have to be bought. Those futures have to be bought. Um, over how many have been done on call purchases. So I don't think we, we can emphasize enough what that means. I mean, that means that the market the, has to go absolute price. necessary buyer. They don't have a choice, you know? Yeah. So in the trade, they've got to cover them shorts. The old line, there's no better buyer than a commercial short and the commercials are short. So we got that, we got that out there. And at the same time, China, you got to remember flashing back to when we, the COVID first hit, the textile pipeline emptied literally in 72 hours from the time that they closed down a lot of the retail here in the U.S. Macy's, for instance, Macy's shut its doors, told all its suppliers, we will give you, first of all, everything's not shipped. We won't take. Right. If it's on the water. We'll give you 10 cents on the dollar when it shows up or you can own it yourself. We don't care. Wow. Take, take your choice. 72 hours later, bales of cotton that were scheduled to leave the warehouses to be shipped to spinning mills were canceled. Wow. That's how fast it, it, it came through the pipeline. So now we go flash ahead almost a year, and we're in a situation where there is no inventory. There is no buffer. China's out of yarn. China has to buy yarn from Pakistan, Turkey, Bangladesh, Vietnam, because they can't get cotton in fast enough. So they're just buying the yarn. So that increasing demand without the buffer supply is really driving these guys to have to try and buy this thing. Now, on top of all that, the speculative money flowing into the market, they're looking for other places to put money. Stock market, some people think needs, uh, you know, they need to diversify a little. Uh, some estimates have uh, liquid capital in U.S., Households is increasing by $1.7 trillion. Right. Where's all that money going to go? So, you know, we talked about it earlier. I'm not going to tell you the cotton is worth a dollar, but I don't know the Tesla is worth this more than the next seven car companies. Let me put it this way. I have uh, some work going on in my house and uh, one of the contractors had his son working with us. And yesterday he's 13 years old. Yesterday, as we're kind of wrap, they were wrapping up, I started chatting him up, and the the son has taken his lawn mowing money and invested and started investing. He's thirteen. Yeah, yeah. He, he was telling me about two or three different stocks. He's uh he's long Bitcoin. I mean, he is thirteen years old. I mean, good right. for him. I hope he makes a million. But this is they really were a telltale of the time. I think it was last Friday, twenty percent 
of all the trading volume of stocks was in penny stocks, stocks under $5. Oh, and I didn't see that. that 20%? Wow. Yeah. So it's anyway. So is cotton worth a dollar? I'm not saying it's worth a dollar, but the price might have to get paid in order to get things covered. And that's, that's where the risk management comes into play. We, the risk is to the upside, not predicting, not telling value, but that's the risk because of the things that are in play. And you can tell in the market when the speculators are driving the bus, few subtle hints. One, you look at the volume traded every day and how much of that was spreads. The commercials trade spreads. When you're under 60% of the volume and is less than that is in spreads, it's speculators taking outright positions. That's where we keep seeing it. Open interest climbs when the price goes up and volume, that's momentum players coming into the game. Technically, when you get to a, a known resistance and a known support line and you see activity, that's the speculators who tend to trade from a technical basis, not from a fundamental supply demand balance. Yeah, and I appreciate in your research and reports every day, you put in the support and resistance and it's for that very reason. You yeah. know that in the tech, in a, a market as small as cotton, that uh, technical trading comes into play. And I can tell you from my hedge fund background, uh, we absolutely looked at those moving averages and absolutely bought the breakouts and that's how it works. Right. And I think that people got to keep, keep in mind that if you're a hedge fund, a money manager, and you're tasked with following 10 commodities, you can't be an expert in every commodity. No. But you can be an excellent technician and know how the charts read. And so you use that as your tool. And that's where this, this tsunami of liquid capital is coming into the market on top of the fundamentals that come to play. Yeah, let's bring it back to fundamentals for a second. I want to pass it over to Bert for a question. Uh, you know, the quality, the cotton quality clearly also drives the price and availability. And, you know, coming out of the uh, Mid-South, your background, Bert, you know, we've been hammered by uh, massive hurricanes, weather events, and other things over the last really number of years. But this year, I mean, what was it? Five, six uh, that, that ripped through there? How did five, that impact the quality? Was it five? Five, I think five ripped through Louisiana and parts of Mississippi. And yeah, it's nothing but destructive to quality. Uh, you know, it, it uh, damages color, it, desert, it damages the micronair uh, quality of the cotton. Uh, and we've seen in a lot of areas that uh, seed coke fragments have wound up uh, embedded in, in the lint and they were difficult to impossible to remove. Mm. But it, yeah, it's, it's very damaging and very, you know, of course, uh, any damage in quality means the producer is going to take less for it. Uh, so they so, take less and then in the end, as it processes through the system, right, they can take it to the gin and then the gin, the merchants, the merchants onto the, uh, to the mills. How do the mills deal with lower quality? Do they simply require a certain standard? And if they don't, if it's not coming from, of one portion of the U.S., they try to buy it from another or another country. How does that all work? Well, they're going to try to source growths where they know that they can get the quality they need. Um, you know, low-quality cotton is going to go into low-quality products. You know, it's, yep. it's just about that simple. And Ron, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, they're going to uh, acquire growths from all over the world, particularly if you're a spinner, you know, in Southeast Asia, you, you, you've got your choice of the world. Um, Yep. And they, so you know, go ahead they um we have an old saying that you know at the right price spin a mill could uh they could spin razor stubble you know? 
They, um, <laughs> price carries a lot. And I'll give you the C code fragment that, that Bert brought up is, is a real issue. It's come to the uh, Secretary of Agriculture. They're going to do a special study on it. And in it, basically what happens is in your fiber, when you spin it, you get these little flecks of hard seed code fragment. And that, that, that's uh, very difficult to get out. Now, the spinning mills in Pakistan have figured out how to do that. And a lot of this cotton with the fragments is going to Pakistan because they, they, they can run it at a slow pace. They can get the fragments out. So they're keen on buying it because it comes with a big discount. The farmers have to take a, a penalty because right. it's not the farmer's fault, it's the weather, okay? It's the excess rain. So farmers take a discount, merchants buy it at a discount, they sell it at a discount, and the Pakistanis are able to turn it into yarn and sell it at a premium to China. Wow. So there's gonna be, at a price, these guys will, you know, they'll take anything and get it spun. But as Bert says, if you're in Southeast Asia, you can take Australian, you can get Brazilian, you know, West African. And what you're typically trying to do is, whatever the demand product, whatever your book, your order book says, you want to buy the cotton that you can convert into that order right. the most efficiently and the right. fastest without stopping, without nips, without all these other problems that come in. So yeah, it, the weather does have a big effect and quality is always an issue. Well, let me I bring another quality issue too with you know hurricanes and big downpours of rain. If you've already defoliated your crop, and then you get a lot of rains come through. You can get a second growth on it. Yep. Seed. Uh, yeah, seeds and that is a huge problem because it produces green stain in the cotton. Mm -hmm. And um, that's another tough one to deal with. You know, mm -hmm. that's an automatic huge discount right there when it goes to classing. And if we expand this to a worldview, there's another issue out there. It's not, it's a, a quasi quality problem. And that's the recent ban on all products imported to the United States that are made from any cotton grown in Xinjiang, China, because of the human rights violations to the Uyghurs yeah. there. It's tomato products and, and cotton that have been absolutely banned to come into the U.S. We view this as a bullish factor for U.S. cotton, simply because the, the Chinese are going to spin the cotton and use it domestically. But if they want to export the growth, they want to buy something, they have to export it, they're going to have to buy foreign cotton so that they can then re-export it because the world's turning their back on the Zingyan growths. So that's going to be bullish because they're not just going to shut down. What they're going to do is they'll buy yarn, convert it. They'll buy cotton from outside the uh, country and convert it. And that's going to be another feature. It remains to be seen if the world can stand steadfast against this Zingyan cotton to the extent that the Chinese then move into production of food on that ground instead of fiber. Interesting. They can grow wheat there, not the most profitable typically, but this is a hell of a year for wheat. Maybe they step in and they buy wheat and plant wheat this year. And that's something we're all looking at very closely as we head into the coming season. Well, how many acres are going to get into cotton? Yeah, that was my next point is, okay, we've kind of got a sense of where we are and clearly the fundamentals are bullish on the, on the crop that we've just harvested. But now we're at a decision-making point for a lot of guys, a lot of farmers coming up. Um, you know, how much cotton am I going to plant versus potentially other crops? What is my banker thinking about? Is he going to continue to lend to me? Considering, you know, as Ronnie, I think you, you've put it here a number of times, typically soybean to 
cotton ratio is about 12 to one right now. Where are we at? 16 to one or something like that. Right. It, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's an old, it used to be 10 to one, but then with the yield improvements on beans where we use a 12 to one ratio, you know, simply put, we're almost at $12 new crop beans. Right. Well, that should be $1 cotton for December cotton. And December cotton finished today, 76.80. Not quite a buck. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. close. So, so it, you know, when we start going, as, as Bert mentioned, as we go to the planning intention report that's going to come in March, you know, when these guys are going to release their numbers, as we talked about in our, uh, our USDA recap, the, um, the way this thing is looking, uh, farmers, not only are they probably not going to opt for cotton where they have a choice, their bankers may not lend them the money to plant cotton because there's a lower chance of getting paid back. Right. And that's where we've started to get some of that feedback from our banks and in West Texas and other places. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a real decision. Right. We, we've actually seen typically farmers will come in as a conservation play and plant winter wheat as a cover crop, keep the soil where it is. And then when it comes cotton time, if the price of wheat is is sufficient, they'll let it grow and they'll harvest it. If not, they'll just round up, kill it, drill in cotton, and off you go. This year, I mean, we know one farmer, 30,000 acres that was in cotton last year, it's going to stay in wheat. Yeah, That's one West Texas farmer. That's just that our little group that knows a certain people in, in, in a place where 5 million acres could go in. My point being that, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get cotton in the ground and either prices have to go up today to get cotton in the ground or it doesn't get planted and they'll go up later. So you pay me now, you pay me later. Something's right. going to happen. It's all being driven by beans and corn. And Bird, you have a little bit of a different perspective coming from the mid South where you grew up as a cotton on a cotton farm. People have lived and breathed cotton, their willingness and ability to change may not necessarily be as uh, as quick as dropping the hat. What 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 are your thoughts? It might not be as rational as what we're talking about with bankers, but uh, anyway, you know, I guess I'm just thinking of families that have grown cotton for generations, four and five generations, or or, or maybe even more. Uh, you know, and it's like it's in their DNA. But you know, a lot of these uh, producers are heavily invested in the infrastructure of cotton. Uh, you know, with, with gins and warehouses, or, you know, invested in warehouses, uh, gins, uh, you know, a, a cotton picker is a one-use piece of farm machinery. It doesn't do anything else but pick cotton. Uh, and those are, are very expensive. I think a new John Deere would probably run close to $900,000. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to let that thing sitting in the shed and, and depreciate when, you know, when if cotton gets into the 80s, you know you can make money and, yeah. uh, you know, you can service that debt on that machine. So um, then you got guys that grow 500 or 750 acres and maybe they're growing 5,000 acres or something else. They can drop it like in a drop of a hat, you know, and forget it. Uh, it's not going to bother them too much. And it's like last week I told you I was talking to a source of mine in the South Delta, which you really need to look at that as two regions. The Yazoo Valley, Yazoo River Valley got flooded for two years. Uh, and at the price of corn and soybeans right now, they're not going to plant a stalk of cotton down there anywhere. Uh, it just doesn't pay them to do it. And they owe so much money to their, you know, uh, to their banks. They've got to produce as much profit as they can right now. So, it, you know, it's a mixed situation. Um, 
you know, Ron, one of the things that we've talked about is uh, the possibility of sorghum replacing a lot of cotton in West Texas in the plains. Yeah, yeah. sorghum uh, and milo, sometimes they call down there. And I, and I think that that uh, is definitely yeah. an option. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going to start to see that. Uh, one of our contacts down there, uh, one of our men who talked to a banker who said that as of last week's pricing comparisons, they're revamping their entire approach to all the farmers. The banker, not the farmer making the choice, the banker telling the farmer what they'll lend them money on. So it's going to be an interesting time. It, you know, we always talk about in Texas where they uh, plant and pray, right? Get it in the uh -huh. ground, pray for rain to get a crop or pray for a drought to get an insurance check. But this year, you're going to actually have a choice. You know, what, what are you going to put in? When do you need the moisture? And, you know, as, as Bert's pointed out on the hurricanes coming up through the Delta, you know, they've had some real dicey rain in South Texas and, you know, some, they had that early snow there in uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Northern Texas. So, you know, maybe, I'm concerned that people have, have gotten their fill of cotton just because of all the headaches. So we'll just have to see. Well, yeah. These, these prices, it's not attractive. Well, as you were saying, the uh, USDA planting intentions are going to tell us a lot. I mean, I think as you if you said, I think as you said the other day, if we go down to 10 million acres, look out. Right. <laughs> and that's, and you know, and I always say, you know, you, you, you know, the planting intention number is swell, but you can't, you can't spin intentions. Right. Yep. How to get that stuff in the ground. So, you know, the pricing is very important. They take that data. It's um, it's a March 31st release. So they take that uh, during the month of February and into March they, where they get the information. So we'll see how prices go, you know, yep. in that time frame to give these guys an attitude of where they think they're going to what they're going to plant. Right. So as we start to think about uh, where we're going to go in terms of prices and ultimately how to and two things. One, if you're a farmer planting and protecting your potential profits that are out there right now. And then two, if you're a, if you're a merchant or a mill, how do you uh, protect a, a, an inflationary uh, pressures that are out there? Um, you know, how, how do we start to think about that and shape the next crop that has yet to even been grown or planted. You know, this is the time of year where we typically don't see these types of price appreciations, but we're getting it now. So people have to plan uh, the risk management strategy moving forward. So, so Ron, if you could give us your thoughts, I guess really two-sided. One, farming side, obviously they've got crop insurance, make sure they're up to date, make sure that they know what their profitability levels are. But then uh, for the merchants and the mills, to really start to forward think their game plans here and uh well obviously contact you to uh uh you know get a plan in place but share share your thoughts it's a little it's a little more plain vanilla on the farmer side the way i look at it is as the market continues to appreciate at some point buying puts on the december contract to protect the downside but you've got to pay for the time decay so you got to buy a put and then you can sell a call. And the worst case is you're going to be getting put short at a higher price on that short call if the market goes up. Right. So if you're going to do a, you know, at 76, so if you were to buy a 75 cent put and pay for it with, you know, an 80, 82, 83 cent call, the worst case scenario is you get put short at a profitable level. Right. Okay. So, you know, that's for a farmer, that, that's the easiest way. And then he can deal with the market as it runs up or down. And at least you got some protection. On the merchant side, you don't want to be 
they're basis players, right? Cash against futures. So it's, it would be very foolhardy to be basis short. You know, you just, you don't sell something you don't have. And we've seen some of the bigger merchants out buying equities. So they're going to pay a premium over the market uh, to the farmers for their cotton next year, because they know now they got to get their hands on the cotton. So we've already started to see merchants stepping into the market, buying equities from farmers. That's going to keep happening. The mills, it's to me, it's, it's dirt simple. Fix your cotton. Fix your cotton. Get it bought. If you think that you're going to pay too much, buy a put. If you think the market's going to turn around. And mills tend to work in concert. They don't really look at the price. They look at the price compared to what their competitor's going to pay. Right. And they want to be matching their competitor. So what I always tell them, I think, look, and it's making a hedging program is very simple. How much, how long, which way? Three questions. You give me those answers. I can tell you how to set up a hedge. Right. Until you fix your cotton, the market going up hurts you as a spinning mill. So go ahead and fix it. Now the market going down hurts you. Okay. So you either buy a call spread to protect yourself or you buy a put spread once you've fixed it to protect yourself. Right. And, and the, uh, the challenge that we've found is that many mills ultimately are not in the U S and so right. without the ability to hedge directly on the exchanges because they might not have open accounts in the U.S. or unavailable to what we've figured out and some ways to actually use structured products through their merchants to, in fact, uh, be able to protect themselves on the hedge side. So um, I think that that um, piece of the business is uh, happening more and more and uh, is, is it's not a brand new concept. And I don't mean to sound coy that we've just figured this out, but the reality is we're putting it into play. And um, I, th I think that, you know, the, the merchants and the mills need to work more closely together to really put a plan in place if, uh, if I'm not overstepping my thoughts there. No, I think they're becoming more comfortable with the over-the-counter products that they hadn't, that hadn't necessarily been of you know, widely used in the past right. are being more applicable these days. There's a greater competition amongst providers, service providers, and yeah, we understand some of the banking difficulties in foreign countries when it comes to futures and options, but we can get around that on a structured product. So we have different ways of getting people protected uh, other than just futures and options. So that's just something that uh, to remember. No, oh, that's great. That's great perspective. So, um, you know, I guess wrapping it up here, guys, uh, we're, we're, you know, midway through January. We're, you know, uh, what, eight, oh, nine, 10 months away from the next crop being harvested. Where do we see prices? What sort of range do you foresee prices going? You know, there's obviously no guarantees. There's no, you know, crystal ball. How high can, how high can they go? And uh, how, what do we do to participate? What do you think, Bert? You want to go first? Remember, first liars always lose. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, Ron, I really think the prices have to get in the 90s. If we keep this up with corn and beans, and there's no reason to think that we won't, uh, somewhere the market's going to wake up and it's going to push it up into the high 80s, low 90s. And, you know, we may not get all the acres we want, but we'll get more acres. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's not, if it's not too late to make those seed decisions, you know, and buy seed. Uh you know, because it's, we do have a, a certain time we've got to plant down here uh, to make a crop. Um, 
I will say this, I spoke to one of my contacts in the seed business today and he said, well, I don't see much change between corn and beans, but there will be definitely less cotton down here. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he's seeing that in their forward sales already. Right. I, I'll, I'll share with you an anecdotal point. Uh, <laughs> very uh, well-known merchant. One of our clients was in China the week before Trump put on the first trade war and the market started to come apart and then followed, you know, with the COVID and we've been down ever since and just coming back. He was over there. He came back. He had orders as long as your arm. Chinese were willing to pay 90 cents. No problem. Up to a dollar five. They can make money. They were happy. Orders in hand, ready to go. Boom. Trade war. Everything blows up. COVID. Boom. Everything blows up. We're getting back to the price level conditions, balance sheets of where we were before the trade war. So if they were comfortable paying 80, 90 cents for US cotton back then, when their prices were a dollar two, well, their prices are now a dollar seven. So if we look at the potential just to get back to normal, if you will, we still have another 10, 15 cents to the upside. If we look at the charts, there's uh, some very interesting upside tar chart targets um, 82 and a half, 84. And then there's a gap on the weekly continuation chart. Hmm. I bring this up because it's the old school chartist. The gaps were meant to be filled. When that's you right. have a, a gap in price, it should be filled. And that's up between 85, 35 and 85 and a half. So that's my initial flush out target to the upside. We can pull back. Um, the mills that we talk to overseas are begging us. Do you think, please don't tell me you can get the crop, get the price on the board down to 75 or 77 cents. We will, well, if that's where they want it, it's never going to get there. Everybody's going to jump in ahead of them. So we see limited downside, tremendous risk to the upside. If you've been in this business for a while, you remember 2008, you remember 2011. Right. I'll tell you, conditions today are tighter in the physical market than they were back in either of those cases that there is more speculative money available and a greater awareness of commodities in general and cotton in particular with this beautiful chart that potentially could pour into this market. And with those two benchmarks behind us, you just can't discount almost any upside. It's just, uh, it won't make sense. It doesn't mean cotton's worth that, but if Bitcoin can be 40,000, and Tesla can be worth what it is. You tell me what's how high is up for cotton. cotton That's what I'm worried about. Easily, you know, easily be a dollar or more. Yeah. That, uh, that mini bail behind you is suddenly going to be worth something. And maybe uh, it's the next Bitcoin back there. Sure. Uh, how many you want to buy? I'll have to try <laughs> to back it up for you, buddy. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic session. I think that uh, we really covered a lot and uh, hopefully this is helpful to, you know, all of our customers and uh, uh, interested parties out there. Obviously, as always, if uh, you're interested in learning more or talking to Ron directly or Bert, you can reach out to us, rcmagservices.com. Also, uh, you can also find out more information coming up from our other outlooks on the other side of the business. Kind of a quick plug for our RCMX, uh, RCM Alternatives piece, our sister company. Um, we'll be doing our 2021 outlook as well with some predictions for the global macro trend following and volatility markets. So always 
please feel free to follow us on RCM underscore ag on Twitter and um, uh, make your, make it a great year for all of us here in 2021. And let's, uh, let's all make some money. Yep. Stay healthy out there. Stay healthy. listening to The Hedged Edge. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at ag underscore RCM, like our Facebook page under RCM Ag Services, and visit our website, read our blog, and subscribe to our newsletter at rcmagservices.com. If you like our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear them.